Mongrel, miscegenator, half-breed, outcast, deviant, heretic. Our words for hybridity are so often epithets. They shouldn't be. Hybrids need not be the problem. It could be the solution. Hybrids do more than embody mixtures between groups. Hybrids reveal the boundaries between groups to be false. And this is vital, for creativity comes from intermingling, from rejecting the lifelessness of purity. Mosin Hamid, Discontent in its Civilizations. Next time they ask you where you're from, you tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb. And if they wonder who you are, well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. Welcome to White Adjacent. I'm your host, David Shams, an Iranian-American writer and wannabe podcaster, born and raised in the heart of Kentucky's bourbon country. Growing up in my rural Kentucky hometown, there were whites, blacks, and then us with our Iranian immigrant father and white American mother. It took moving away from my hometown to realize there were others like us, struggling to figure out what it meant to have competing identities, what it meant to be hyphenated, what it meant to straddle whiteness and otherness, what it meant to be white adjacent. On this episode, I'm joined by Sarah Ollier, an Iranian-American living in D.C. Sarah and her sister grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with her Iranian immigrant father and American mother, much of her life navigating the challenges of being white adjacent and is now working in D.C. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. So um, we've had a lot of conversations about some of the topics that we are wanting to discuss on this podcast. Um, So I guess I'll just kick it off by asking you what it was like being Iranian-American in Grand Rapids and how those challenges have gotten, how they've changed as you've gotten older and have they stayed the same or those types of things? Yeah. So Grand Rapids is in West Michigan. It's a um, historically more conservative town. It's pretty white. Um, in my high school, that was seven through 12. Um, I think there were maybe four Middle Eastern kids total. It was me, my sister, who are both half, and then uh, my Egyptian friend and her brother. Um, But going to elementary school, I went to like a inner city Catholic elementary school that was like actually pretty religiously diverse as well as racially and socioeconomically diverse. And I went there K through six. So I think everybody at school knew that I was like Iranian American, but mm-hmm. it wasn't ever like a problem. I never got teased for it. Mm-hmm. It was just like everybody, you know, there were a lot of families that had, um, you know, immigrant parents or whatever. So it wasn't really a big deal. And then when I switched schools in seventh grade, um, that's when nine 11 happened mm-hmm. in September of that year. So, um, it definitely like changed. I think the, or the dynamic became more pronounced and that school was also maybe less, uh, racially diverse and less socioeconomically diverse. Mm-hmm. And then, so there were definitely like more incidents there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, despite that school actually being pretty diverse for Grand Rapids public schools and actually it's a, it's a really good school, but I think that dynamic definitely shifted because probably brought on because of nine 11 and the aftermath of that, mm-hmm. as well as being in a community where it's pretty isolated, where there's not really a large middle Eastern population, mm-hmm. I think everybody just gets grouped together in ways that, you know, end up, you know, causing problems or affecting mm-hmm. you as a kid or you, your friends, especially when there's just the four of you. Yeah. Were there any like specific instance instances that kind of stick out in your mind from when you were growing up? I mean, I'm out. pretty sure that like, you know, a lot of people have been called terrorists as a joke or, you know, <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. like that. But like, if you're a kid, you know, or mm-hmm. if a friend calls you that, especially if they're meaning it as, as a barb, mm-hmm. um, that can be pretty hurtful mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, and there were a lot of incidents where teachers, you know, some teachers in particular, like two in particular, um, <laughs> who, but who were in charge of teaching social studies, history, government, and economics, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the big hitting, big hitting subjects. Right. Um, they had some pretty, uh, you know, pretty poor views on uh, the Middle East and right. Muslims and anyone they perceived to be Arab or Iranian or Middle mm-hmm. Eastern at all. So there are a lot of like really ignorant comments that teachers would make that for me were particularly impactful because, you know, while other people might know and might ignore what the teachers say, there's definitely kids who believe that these teachers who are teaching these subjects know what they're talking about. 
Right. And, you know, they see them as authority figures. So when you have someone who's saying things that are clearly offensive and clearly like just incorrect, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's not really helpful. Um, do you mind going into something that they may have, or that they said that you remember? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there were just a lot of instances where they would just say things about, you know, Muslims think this way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Or um, I remember somebody asking why my people were so angry all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe because you made comments like that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, th- things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, okay. yeah, or um, you know, or just, just uh, associating everyone in the Middle East as being Muslim and then right. everyone in the Middle East being the kind of Muslim that the Taliban are, um, which is, you know, not, that's, that's not correct. Right. Like at all. And it's right. not the way that you should be teaching a social studies class. If you're trying to talk about like world politics or world mm-hmm. religions or anything like that. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I guess I'll kind of stay in that same general area and, and, and ask about um, like how your family fit into Grand Rapids like were there other Iranians around that you spent time with or was your dad kind of like the only one there? <laughs> yeah. I guess it was a little different from like Bardstown, yeah. like where you grew up. But yeah. um, I mean, there, there was a small community there, mm-hmm. but not super close. And I mean, like every community, you know, there's like some of the good cultural aspects and then mm-hmm. some of the negative cultural aspects. Right. Um, so some of that keeping up with the Joneses that, mm-hmm is profound in American culture, but also definitely in Iranian immigrant culture oh, yeah, too. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a really small community, um, but this there is was in a, Grand Rapids. Yeah, yeah. Like a really tiny, I mean, yeah. probably like a hundred or less, um, yeah. you know, out of a city that's like 250,000 or right. so. Okay. Um, but we had a family that um, their father was also Iranian mm-hmm. and then their mother was American and they had two daughters. One was, uh, she's a year older than me and mm-hmm. the other one is the right in between me and my sister. Okay. So the four of us would hang out together a lot. We still like hang out and catch up. And mm-hmm. so our families kind of grew up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I didn't get a chance to see my Iranian grandparents for a lot of different reasons, but um, their grandfather would come over, mm-hmm. like spend six months out of the year here, mm-hmm. like in Michigan and then go back to Iran. And mm-hmm. so he was, I kind of called him like my adopted Iranian <laughs> grandpa. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and so like we, we grew up together with them and actually that family, um, their father owns the only Persian restaurant in, um, Michigan. And he's such a good chef that his food kind of like sets my standard for like what <laughs> Persian food should taste like. <laughs> awesome. We'll, we'll get into that in a second on the Persian food, uh, dynamic, but, uh, I get the sense that you and your, uh, your friends that you just described kind of formed a, like a, a, uh, like therapy group or like, kind of like a, you've talked about some of these issues or not really, or, um, kind of, but it's, but it's more in like, um, it's more in like, we can just be ourselves, right? Like okay. we can be fully ourselves with whatever that mm-hmm. dynamic is, yeah. you know, like, so we can be as you know quote unquote iranian as we want to be or as like american and we want to be or as iranian american as we want to be right. just doing everything but i remember like as kids like we'd be at their house um we'd be playing like duck hunter on nintendo 64 mm-hmm. or like spyro on like mm-hmm. ps1 yeah <laughs> and you know but then also like eating gourmet sabzi right okay yeah yeah that, that's pretty yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty like straddling both cultures in like an hour <laughs> right pretty easily um I guess the other thing uh, I wanted to jump into is because uh, we were on friends and I, I had this as a thing that I wanted to talk about, but um, in, in previous conversations, we've talked about how you've uh, made friends and how you've kind of like, you felt more comfortable around other hyphenated individuals. Can you go into that and, and talk to listeners about that as well? And, and Yeah. So um, like I was saying in my elementary school, like everyone was pretty diverse. So it was mm-hmm. just like your friends in your class and it was a really small class size. But then going to the public school I went to, the class size, my sixth grade class was like 18 kids. Mm-hmm. And then my seventh grade class was like 145 or something like that. So it was yeah. like a pretty big change like mm-hmm. in those two different environments. But the friends that I ended up making from middle school through high school are still some of the friends I have mm-hmm. today. And a lot of them have... um a lot of them come from different backgrounds so that mm-hmm. they might have immigrant parents or they might be racially mixed mm-hmm. um, or a lot of them speak a different language or have studied a different language mm-hmm. and still retain a pretty good proficiency with it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they're all, all of them are really like interested in other parts of the world and other cultures, like, mm-hmm. or, you know, around the world, like whatever. So mm-hmm. I think it was kind of a situation where you could, where it was okay to be different because everybody had something different. So it wasn't a big thing mm-hmm. and everybody was interested in everybody else's culture, mm-hmm. you know, so it wasn't like it was ever something to be looked down on or something that was seen as like different and different bad, mm-hmm. at least within that group of friends. Right. And I think that those type of friends are probably still some of the friends that I have now where it's like, if I look at my friend group overall, it's a lot of people who have, and I guess this is like my own DC or Wimble mm-hmm. bubble or whatever, <laughs> but it's a lot of people that, you know, have studied different parts of the world or different cultures or histories they have probably taken or, you know, speak multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably have some sort of advanced degree, you know, and are like actively reading every day on different world events or, mm-hmm. you know, different topics. Um, so it's, it's something where you can just kind of feel, you know, it's, it, you can feel free to be any aspect of who you are mm-hmm. around like people who also do the same and have similar interests. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I guess we'll may end up circling around back, back to that again and, and, and having more conversations on, on that if it comes up, but, uh, I wanted to get into some more like maybe difficult topics, <laughs> which you knew was coming because we've had this conversation <laughs> offline before Shoot. on multiple occasions. Um, I guess the big thing that I at least want to touch on is how, uh, you know, your parents have engaged your like mixed race status and how they've kind of like incorporated that and talked about that or if they have at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always talked about in like racial terms per mm-hmm. se, right? At least it didn't used to be when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I think now that there's more attention to like racial politics that maybe mm-hmm. that dynamic has changed a little bit mm-hmm. um, where it is talked about more in, in like uh, racialized terms of like, you know, black and brown solidarity in looking at different, um, issues. Um, I think for my parents, they wanted my sister and I to grow up where we could kind of move easily back and forth between two things. And they never wanted us to be ashamed of being any aspect of our identity. So, um, I mean, I think when you're living in Michigan, like Mm -hmm. there's not, and there wasn't a large community, um, and growing up in a mixed family where like my mom doesn't speak Farsi. Mm-hmm. Like I learned some Farsi at home, but not a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my family, that was for my immediate family. That was never the marker of being Iranian, mm-hmm. you know, or, or that type of aspect of your identity. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of like, um, my parents would always watch the news mm-hmm. and it used to drive me crazy as a kid that that was like only the only thing on TV, but it also meant that we would have a lot of conversations about what was happening on the news and mm-hmm. especially about like what was happening in the Middle East and, you know, U S policy in the Middle East and what that meant for like our family that's living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of just grew up with that being a part of like your experiences right. and how then you see you know, these dynamics that happen in the classroom, mm-hmm. like that we talked about, right. like, then it also informs like how you see those types of interactions and the the way that you're able to connect those types of interactions on a smaller scale. It's actually what's happening on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that we, we celebrated like Persian new year mm-hmm. every year. And so for in our family, Persian new year and Christmas are like on equal footing in terms of, right. you know, the most important holidays that we celebrate in our family. Okay. So it was always like wanting to celebrate, you know, all aspects of your culture. Yeah. And then also, you know, I think every family has its own, you know, quirks, yeah, right? right. <laughs> and everyone has their own crazy relatives. But I think my, my parents, especially my dad wanted me to understand that like, just because, you know, you have grandparents that might be this way, doesn't mean that all Iranian grandparents are mm-hmm. this way. Right. And so that's why I like that exposure to my friend's grandpa mm-hmm. was really, really important because it also showed that like, no, like, you know, just like you have good grandparents on your mom's side, like you can also have good parents and grandparents like in every family from every background. Right. And some, some of those negative aspects are not necessarily generalized to an entire community. Right. Okay. Uh, you talked about, uh, Persian. Did you end up learning any Persian at all? And like how, like what's the language proficiency now? So, um, so I finished my like Spanish requirement for a program I wanted to do freshman year of college. And then I started like, I found out they had Farsi classes at Michigan state. Mm-hmm. And so started with like Farsi one Oh one 
uh, sophomore year at Michigan State and just kept up with it until I graduated. Okay. And then I started again um, my second year of law school, just auditing Farsi classes that Michigan offered. Mm, okay. Um, and also until I graduated. And so now I would say my reading's a little weaker than I'd like it to be, but otherwise I think I can carry like a basic conversation. Yeah. Um, so if you were like Farsi. transported to Iran, you could kind of get around. Or? I think I could get around. Okay. But I mean, you'd also, I mean, it's like any, it's like when I've learned Spanish and lived in Spanish speaking countries, mm-hmm. right? Like you definitely improve when you're surrounded in immersion. Right. Right. Um, but it's to the point now where like I visited relatives um, in a few relatives who live in Europe and one of them, you know, we, that's the only common language that we share. And we were able to spend like, you know, two days together getting around, having conversations and oh, wow. like speaking together. Um, so that, that was really cool because before mm-hmm. I've always needed, you know, my dad or somebody else mm-hmm. to be translating for me or to be slowing things down. Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice to actually be able to like build that relationship with my cousin yep. went, you know, by myself. Yeah. Through like a common language and easy yeah. like communication. Cool. Yeah. Um, how... And this is where it probably is going to get a little bit more difficult. (laughs) Um, How have like with your mom's family, how have they like embraced you, you and your sister's uh, Iranian Americanness? I think it depends on the relative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think my, I think, I mean, I think on my mom's side of the family, there's definitely people who are, more comfortable with it and mm-hmm. then people who are less comfortable with it. I yeah. think maybe also like in your family, there's people who might see your father as like the exception, mm-hmm. but then might make comments that generalize about everybody else, mm-hmm. not realizing what that means for the, for that individual. And mm-hmm. then for their kids that are sitting right there listening yeah. to it too. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely, there's definitely been like some tensions uh, because of that. And like, you know, posts on Facebook that kind of, you know, people kind of reveal what they might think about mm-hmm. Muslims or people from the Middle East or anything, you know, like that. Yeah. Um, there's definitely been some tensions. Although I think with certain relatives, things have, you know, everyone learns through exposure sometimes at slower mm-hmm. rates than others. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's been some relatives where there have been changes and improvements to how they relate mm-hmm. to that over the years. And then that also means that my relationship with them has been better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other relatives where, just not as interested in building mm-hmm. a closer relationship because of comments they've made or how mm-hmm. they, you know, how they think in the past. Um, yeah. and that's like, you know, it's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Is that like a more, has it been a more recent thing or is it something that has always been, been there? I think it's something that's always been there, but it feels like, um, you know, again, like there's the things that happen on a global political level, they also like affect you as the individual, especially, mm-hmm. I think especially Iranian Americans because everything is so, seen through this media lens Mm -hmm. and when it's always this like lens of conflict it it causes like i mean those those translate down you Mm -hmm. know to to your experiences and then to also those dynamics Mm -hmm. with those family members yeah okay um guess we can get into like um like how you introduce your iranianness to other people yeah. So <laughs> that's always a fun one. So I think like, it's really interesting if you can, you know, quote unquote pass as white or like if people don't necessarily, if people don't, if they're not exposed to other Middle Easterners, they might not recognize some of like the phenotypes that mm-hmm. other people who are around Middle Easterners would immediately recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also with my last name, there's a lot of wacky vowels in there. So mm-hmm. no one really knows how to pronounce it or what to do with it. Yeah. So I used to kind of play this game in my head where I would wait to see how long it would take before someone would like, before it would come out that I was Iranian American. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever hide it cause I'm not ashamed of it, but right. I just, it would always just kind of be like a game. So usually it'd be in the first interaction where I meet someone, you know, if they're going through the attendance and they, yeah. you know, go through all the names, they stop at N, they get to O and there's <laughs> everyone else gets their last name read. And then mine just Sarah pause. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's me. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> so then you pronounce it. They ask like, what kind of name is that? And then you're like, well, it's an Iranian name or a Persian name. Yeah. Um, you know, but usually it's in that first interaction where they mm-hmm. see your last name or like if you're at a, you know, now as an attorney in DC, if you're at a conference and someone sees your name tag, they might ask. Mm-hmm. Um, or now it's, but it's also more subtle now. Like when you're in the professional space, people will try to just ask questions to figure out mm-hmm. 
you know, like, oh, I see you have Persian on your resume. How did you learn that? And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, that's a pretty straightforward question. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's different ways I think that people ask around some mm-hmm. of those topics. And it's like, you know, we can just talk about it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything. Right, I'm not right. ashamed of it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it usually comes out in those types of interactions. Um, or people kind of, they, they might try to guess, mm-hmm. but usually it's way off or it's just like across the board. So yeah. anything from like Latino to French, Hawaiian, Jewish, like, I don't, you know, there's a pretty wide range yeah. that n- no one's ever guessing correctly on the first time. <laughs> But there's also, I don't know how, how you experience this dynamic, but do you introduce yourself as Persian or Iranian or do you flip-flop? Yeah, I was going to ask you that too because you you mentioned both uh, back and forth. But I've always just said Iranian because that was what my dad said um, or that I felt most comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, uh, another person who's done this interview is, isn't is Persian. Uh, she's Iranian but not Persian. So, mm-hmm. um having met her and having had conversations with her about that and how people just assume that because she's Iranian, she's Persian, I've like realized that, that it's not like you just say Iranian. It's a lot easier because you don't have to explain like mm-hmm. national, national, uh, national identities as well within the country. But, um, I, I've gotten that question and I've always felt like if you're saying Persian, you're ashamed of your Iranian identity. Yeah. Because it, there's so many like, uh, cultural and societal cleavages to, to saying Iranian because of what happened in 79. Is that something that you've experienced as well or? Yeah, I would agree with that. So I think sometimes I go back and forth. Like I remember in college, there's a, there's a debate cause we were part of the students association. Mm-hmm. So, and I had Afghan friends who mm-hmm. like, they also spoke Farsi or Dari mm-hmm. and, you know, culturally very same, like, you know, very similar. They're part of like, mm-hmm. you know, historically the same territory. Mm-hmm. So to include them, Persian made more sense. Right. But then that also doesn't include some of the other non-Persian ethnic groups that you meant, you know, mm-hmm. like how you were talking about, they're yeah. also in there. But I think professionally, um, it depends how close I am with someone or how good of a read I can have on the situation. Right. But I will definitely introduce myself as Persian, um, mm-hmm. if I need like a Persian American or like that, you know, saying the last name, the origin of my last name is Persian rather mm-hmm. than Iranian, um, as kind of like a softer way to say that, yeah. like, especially if I, you know, need that job or need that <laughs> contact, you know, and yeah. I don't want someone to have an immediate negative reaction mm-hmm. to it because in the times where I have said Iranian, um, you can feel like a palpable change in the way that people talk to you compared to the other white people like around you mm-hmm. or the, you know, you can, you can just see that change right. happen immediately. And so, um, but as I've gotten older, part of me is just like, you know what, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Like I'm born in the United States. I'm an American, like mm-hmm. I'm an Iranian American and I'm not ashamed of that. And I don't need to couch that for other people mm-hmm. to comfort them. Yeah you know, when honestly it might be better for them to know that they're meeting an Iranian American so they can have maybe a more diverse picture mm-hmm. of what that might look like. Um, yeah. So now I definitely prefer to say that it's Iranian mm-hmm. and just, you know, make direct eye contact and watch what happens <laughs> next. Watch the fluttering, like oh, right. God, what ha- what's happening, what's happening, what's happening, <laughs> right. what's going on in the space right now. <laughs> right. Um, I think like when we had our first conversation in, in January and, and you talked about the, the consequences of saying Iranian, uh, telling people that you're Iranian, like I hadn't really thought about it too much because I just straight up in the first interview, I'll say like, I'm Iranian American just mm-hmm. to like set that marker and like not have that amb- ambiguous, like status floating out there. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely noticed like looking back after you've said that, that that's like, maybe I shouldn't do that right away. Um, but also, uh, you know, if people ask, I'm not going to be like, Oh, my dad's an immigrant. And then leave right. it at that. Like, cause then it's like, okay, well they're going to want to know more. So, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Have you like d- dealt with like direct consequences from that? Like from talking about your Iranianness or. Yeah. I remember I was, um, when I was a summer associate at a law firm, I remember there was a older partner there, um, who had made a comment or, you know, he had asked, you know, I introduced myself, said, you know, this is my name. And then he asked, you know, oh, where are you from? And I said, well, my, you know, dad's from Iran and my mom is from the upper peninsula of Michigan. And he was like, oh, so which part of you is the civilized part? 
is in Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. Michigan is a more rural area. Mm. It's so when someone's saying that, it's kind of it was like kind of a double whammy. I just had never heard it like that before. Yeah. But this is a partner, you know, at a recruiting event Mm -hmm. for Summer Associates where, you know, I'm trying to, you know, the whole summer basically is a month long interview Mm -hmm. process. So it it matters that people say things like that, especially that partners say things like that. Mm -hmm. And not that that was the experience at that firm as a whole. Mm -hmm. We have very good relationships with the people at that firm. But yeah, there's definitely like when people say things like that in professional settings, it Mm -hmm. definitely changes the tone of that. Mm-hmm. dynamic and, right. and what that means for you and how you feel like you fit into that organization right. somewhere. And it's like, it wasn't just an, a knock on the Iraniness. It, it was, was also a knock, a knock on everything, on, on everything. So, like your two identities that are also right. competing inside of you. They're now being attacked by, <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess he's not discriminating in his <laughs> knock, but <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know that that makes me feel better. Yeah. It shouldn't at all. <laughs> um, Let's see, like what, I guess, like how have you tried to balance both being Iranian and American and then also being from Michigan? Because that's also an identity Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Yeah, I think, I think it's easier to do in DC where there, there are just more people who are like you, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you and I and our friend group, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who are like us, Mm -hmm. you know, Iranian and American, but also people who have, um, similar types of friend groups, like, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of different backgrounds from lots of different places. There's a lot of people here, I think who have traveled more. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas in Michigan, I think sometimes as a kid, it was hard outside of my friend group. It was hard to like relate to people in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, cause even like at summer camp in the upper peninsula, right? Like I've spent every summer there, like I've spent a lot of time there, Mm -hmm. but the kids who go there, like they've stayed, you know, they're from that very local Mm -hmm. community and they don't necessarily have the same exposure to things outside Mm -hmm. that I've had. So sometimes it's like hard to make some of those connections. Mm -hmm. Um, but honestly, I think here it's just, you know, I think my dad always said that, you know, you take the good things from wherever you are and then you kind of weave the bad things and like, Mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't keep passing those on. Mm -hmm. Um, so take all the good, good cultural aspects or things that you like, and then, you know, don't reciprocate, you know, don't keep, you know, passing on the negative ones. Mm -hmm. So I think that from all the places I've lived or traveled, I try to like, I think I've just tried to, you know, things that I like about those places, Mm -hmm. you know, keep doing those or pursuing those. And then things that, um, maybe are feel more negative to like leave Mm -hmm. those aside. Yeah. So some of that, like keeping up with the Joneses or, Mm -hmm. you know, those types of like very superficial type things or things that I, you know, don't really engage with on on either aspect of like that spectrum or that identity spectrum. Right. Um, but it's also being, it's also meant for me personally being involved in, um, different things that are happening in the local, like Iranian American community, Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, foreign policy events, like being in DC, having an interest in foreign policy, because not every Iranian American has an interest in foreign policy, you know, um, whether that's because of, or separate from, you know, how those relationships have worked. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's like a personal and professional interest. So it's kind of meant just blending all of that together all the time and right. just see what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you put it in a box, shake it up and then. Right. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> meant, yeah, it's also meant like, you know, celebrating like Noru's with friends mm-hmm. here, you know, if yeah. I can't go back home for yeah. that time, um, you know, or it's meant like you know, going to the Iranian American film festival. And yeah. I, I definitely noticed that my Farsi gets a little bit better, like the week after that <laughs> film festival than it was before. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just trying to like keep up with those types of opportunities to just engage in lots of different mm-hmm. aspects of, of that cultural identity. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a question in my head and now I've like lost <laughs> it. Um, so I guess tell me a little bit about how your parents met and like what, how your dad came to the U S and what his experience was early on. And then that sort of how they met. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool. So my dad, um, is the youngest of five kids. Mm -hmm. So his oldest sibling, uh, is 21 years older than him. So it's a pretty significant age difference, but his oldest, his brother, um, was a, is a doctor. And so Mm -hmm. he was already in the United States doing his, residency like he, he was already a practicing physician in iran but then you know i'm sure like a lot of 
families, you know, mm -hmm. who have, you know, parents who are doctors, um, you pretty much have to redo all of your qualifications and start from the bottom here, um, which is, you know, pretty kind of unfair and pretty frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, so he was here doing his residency over again um, and ended up living in uh, Minnesota or mm -hmm. Wisconsin, actually. Uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota at the time. One of and those then, countries. Yeah. <laughs> also states. in the Midwest yeah. <laughs> that I should yeah. know. <laughs> I think Minnesota. And then, um, yeah. and then my father was 14 at the time yeah. in 1975 and the educational system was changing in Iran. And yeah. there was, um, so he was part of the old system and his, his parents didn't want him to be part of the new system because they weren't sure what the post high school, like future opportunities were mm -hmm. in that system. So in the old system, he had this opportunity to go to the U S to do high school in the U S mm -hmm. um, and then go to college here. So his parents, um, it was his choice, but his parents sent him to, um, at 14 to live with his brother in Minnesota mm -hmm. and his brother's wife, um, and their family. And so he got here like two weeks into the school year mm -hmm. um, at 14 in 10th grade because yep. um, he had skipped a couple of grades in your hunt. Mm -hmm. And so he was like the youngest kid. Um, and then everyone, you know, he was good with English in Iran, but like, I remember he also had to read, like I, I had to read Beowulf in 10th grade and didn't understand any of it. Mm -hmm. English is my native language. Yeah. He showed up two weeks late into the school year and also had to read Beowulf in 10th grade. Yeah. And like, that must be insane. Um, and his brother said that, you know, I'll basically speak Farsi with you for the first month to help you, like, you know, acclimate. Right. Get... But then after that, no more Farsi, Yeah, which is a pretty brutal transition mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, yeah. in the middle, also in the middle of nowhere. Um, so anyway, he grew up there and then when he graduated from high school, that's when the revolution happened. Right. So, you know, and then the war happened the year after that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he wasn't going back to Iran, mm -hmm. um, cause otherwise he probably would have been drafted. Right. Um, and I'll pause here. And when she says war, she's talking about the Iran Iraq war that lasted from 1980 to 88. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, um, there's also mandatory military service right. in Iran, like in a lot of other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, when a country's in conflict, that is a different situation. Yep. Um, so anyway, so he stayed in the United States and was going to college here and working and ended up, you know, living in, um, Wisconsin mm -hmm. for a while. And my mom had finished school, uh, in the, in uh, Northern Michigan university mm -hmm. and in the upper, in that area in the upper Pernod part of Min uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, the closest big city is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So her best friend was living in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. um, and so my dad somehow knew her friend or her friend's sister. And so when my mom was visiting her friend in Green Bay, mm -hmm. they met at like a, through the mutual friends mm -hmm. um, and they hit it off. And then my mom ended up moving down to Grand Rapids. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she had just graduated, was a young nurse looking for a job and Grand Rapids had like five hospitals at the time. So she was there looking for, um, you know, her first job as a nurse. And so she, my dad were like pen pals, basically mm -hmm. sending letters back and forth. Cause this was pre email, pre cell phones <laughs> and everything. Um, and then six months later, the company my dad was working for, uh, transferred him to Grand Rapids so that he could open up one of the, um, company stores in Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. And then they started dating and here I am. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then how did her, um, your mom's family like welcome your father or and, like, did they, were there, were there any tensions there like right away or was it kind of, they were just kind of like, oh, okay, he, he's a cool guy and. They just kind of moved on. Yeah, I think they were, I think, in, I mean, I think if you talk to him, I mean, he might have more to say on that topic, but I think initially, um, I think they were pretty welcoming and mm -hmm. definitely like when you think about coming from a small town with mm -hmm. zero, like even less diversity than Grand Rapids. Right. And, you know, this is this guy, this brown dude from Iran who's <laughs> dating your daughter. Like, there's a lot of things where it's like you would think that maybe they would have been more close-minded than they were about it. Right. Um, but actually, you know, I think it, it was okay. And um, my grandparents, particularly my grandma, um, throughout the years has become so much more open-minded mm -hmm. as a result of, like, her church's interfaith or, like, um, ministry. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's actually been kind of interesting to see that development. Yeah. Um, I think some of the tensions were maybe from other relatives mm -hmm. um where they might make kind of side comments or um you know might be questioning like the the way that my parents were raising my sister and i are like the way mm -hmm. you know the, or the way that my 
parents were raising us around, especially around religion. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think it was very important that we were to certain members of the family more so than others that we were raised Christian in a particular way of what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, we weren't Catholic by the way. So the whole Catholic school Mm -hmm. thing at the beginning, is just like, it's a lot of mixed, uh, you know, mixed dynamics there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think some of those things cause tension, but I think, I think now it's, it's much more associated with these, um, broader issues of like conflict in the Middle East and perceptions Mm -hmm. about people from the Middle East or Muslims and what that means then when people make generalized comments about that and then don't think about their, Oh, you actually have a Muslim member in your family Mm -hmm. or you actually have Middle Eastern members in your family and what that means for those family members, you know, seeing those comments or hearing those comments. Yeah. I wonder if it gets back to the idea of what you talked about, like where, like, because you, you all were, in the family so often that they just put this bubble around you and like, Oh, well they're, they're different or like our comments don't, we say these things, but it's not about them. It's about everyone else kind of thing. Yeah. I just, I don't know that they think to even make that separation sometimes for the particular relatives who do say those comments. And I think it's not like they don't know. It's not like they don't know or forgot that, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's from Iran or that were Iranian yeah. American. It's not like they forgot that. Um, so I'm not honestly sure where some of that comes from. Right. Um, and, you know, just like our family has a unique way that we were raised and grew up. I mean, you know, even my cousins who, you know, might also have grown up in Grand Rapids, our experiences growing up and the things that we were exposed to growing up were very different, mm-hmm. which, you know, results in different ways that you raise people mm-hmm. or, and then how they as adults relate to these topics and the things, the comments that they make or how mm-hmm. they think through them or process them or don't think through them mm-hmm. or process them. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely fascinating because, uh, you know, we've had this conversation before where like we in my own family on my mom's side, we've had the same sorts of tension where they don't get that. Like these things affect us differently than them. And they're like, well, you're family, like you're one of us. I'm like, well, yeah, we are. But we're also this other thing that is negatively affected by these choices that you're making. So right. um, it's definitely been very difficult. So it's interesting to hear other people talk about that and have, especially people who've had those tensions arise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's to that end too. It's also like, it really even shouldn't matter that, you know, that I might have this other aspect mm-hmm. to my identity. Like really you should probably shouldn't be saying bigoted things in the first place. And you probably should check yourself a little bit more <laughs> than you do regardless of, you know, who's, yeah. who's sitting in front of you. Right. But, th- but the fact that you do have someone sitting in front of you should maybe cool you in a little bit more than mm-hmm. it actually does right. as to the consequences of those, you know, statements. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, we kind of talked about this earlier, but, um, and we kind of, we got, a, got around to it, but like, do you ever get like exhausted mentally, uh, about having to like figure out these things or have these conversations with people about your Iranianness or like kind of explaining why some of these things are problems? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the easy answer is yes, but I think, um, you know, at some point it's, it's not our job to be everybody's teacher about mm-hmm. this stuff. And I can't be my experiences, you know, while our experiences are similar, yeah. they're different. Right. Um, just like it's going to be different for everybody that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and every group has its own dynamics and those dynamics at the group level are not necessarily the same for those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, like it's not my job, nor can I be everybody's teacher about what that means, but also, coming from an area where there really aren't other people, mm-hmm. you know, for other people to have exposure to, I guess I'd rather that somebody asked me whatever their question is so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And at least maybe then they'll walk away with a more complex understanding mm-hmm. or at least, you know, maybe that first reaction won't be, Oh, you just got to bomb that country or whatever. Right. You know, maybe that, maybe it would be slightly more humanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it's, but it's exhausting when you feel like every interaction that you have or every tension that you have like that has that underlying dynamic mm-hmm. to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's, it, it's who I am. It, it's who we are. It's, it's our life. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hide from that or right. run from that just because like sometimes it's uncomfortable. Right. 
Um, when you, and we kind of talked a little bit about this, when you like make friends or are hanging out with people, uh, what are some things, some qualities and people that you look for to like continue that relationship? Humor is a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta be able to laugh at yourself <laughs> and also yeah. like at other things. Right. Um, you know, it also makes people fun to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I think people who are, um, curious like intellectually curious but also kind of adventurous so willing to try new things or be open to new experiences mm-hmm. um you know makes it cool because like i i also like to you know learn new things and see mm-hmm. new things so to be able to share that those types of things with other people is really cool mm-hmm. um and then just just an appreciation i think for other people and 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 an ability to like put yourself in other people's positionalities a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think then you're able to have those conversations. And mm-hmm. even if you disagree with people, which I know we've disagreed on things, mm-hmm. you're like lots of friends, you know, disagree on things. But if you have those other underlying commonalities, mm-hmm. then you can have like a trusting relationship where you can, where you can disagree and have difficult conversations and it doesn't like ruin the friendship. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Uh, let me get into, uh, the rapid fire questions that are like more (laughs) kind of the fun kind of, uh, goofy things to end on a like light, lighter note. (laughs) Um, what is your comfort food? Hmm. That's kind of hard actually. Um, you can do like more than one if you don't have to narrow it down to one. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Comfort food, kind of like probably the same as the reals, but um, like a good, like my mom makes a really good uh, like turkey chili. It's okay. like a good one in the winter. Yeah. Um, and like a, you know, again, we're from the Midwest, so casseroles are always a thing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like a good like tater tot casserole. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Tater um, tot casserole. Who doesn't love a tater tot casserole? <laughs> uh, but then um probably she also makes this really really good uh chicken and eggplant and tomato horished which is amazing oh wow okay yeah so on equal footing with the tater tot <laughs> casserole <laughs> my dad's probably having an aneurysm right now <laughs> um favorite iranian restaurant in dc and you can also Ooh. say that there's one in in new york or somewhere else that you okay. like better yeah, so in D.C., D.C., it's actually a sad situation in terms of Persian <laughs> restaurants. Yeah. But I would say that Marjan's Catering in Vienna, mm-hmm. it's this hole-in-the-wall place next to a car wash, mm-hmm. has the best, like, actual choresh. Okay. But if you're talking about cello kebab, you're going to be sad. Um, <laughs> Shamshiri's okay, yeah. I think. Um, and Emu's is all right, too. Okay. But still not better than... My friend's dad's restaurant, Shiraz, in Grand Rapids, okay. and uh, not better than uh, Taste of Persia in Union Square in New York. Okay. All right. I've been to Taste of Persia on your recommendation, and Excellent. it was amazing. Um, favorite city in the world? If you could be anywhere, where would it be? Madrid. Madrid? Madrid. Okay. First city I lived in outside the U.S., like actually lived in, and it's a blast. All right. Awesome. Uh, favorite Michigan craft beer? Could also be cider. Oh, so yeah, I don't drink beer. So actually the whole craft beer scene in Michigan is completely lost on me. <laughs> but <Whoops>. Michigan <laughs> Michigan also has a lot of really good wineries up okay. by Traverse City. And there's a Black Star Riesling, I think, is one of my favorite um, local Michigan wines. Okay. Black Star Riesling. Yep. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Um, do you have, is there anything that like gives you like nostalgia, like a scent or like being in a specific place or like scene or whatnot? Um, I think like Noru's stuff mm-hmm. will do that. Um, okay. I also, um, there's a, there's a pizza place in the upper peninsula mm-hmm. that every time we go visit, my grandpa would always take us there. Okay. Um, so anytime I think about like that place, it just brings back a lot of, really good memories that were associated um, mm-hmm. like with all those trips up there to like visit my grandparents and all the fun things that they would take us to, you know, and do with us. Okay. Um, Michigan or Michigan state, Michigan state. What kind of question is that? <laughs> it's tough. Green. Um, last one, uh, plans to go to Iran 
anytime? Is it on your bucket list? Is it not? It is on my bucket list. Yeah. I would love to go uh, more than anything. I have a lot of family that I've never mm-hmm. met there. Um, they're all in Tehran, but I have a whole bucket list trip in my mind mm-hmm. planned out of all the places I would love to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously like Tehran, Isfahan, Mashhad, Persepolis, like, yeah. you know, every all the, the big hitters, Damavan. <laughs> yeah, it would be amazing to go there and see them and like, you know, have that sense of, grounding mm-hmm. awesome okay well i think we've gotten to we've had a good conversation so far we could probably go a little bit longer but um we have an hour uh we've spent that hour uh and um yeah thanks for coming on and and being uh even though you said you were nervous a little bit not nervous and talking <laughs> and not having forcing me to like drag all this stuff out of you so i appreciate you coming on thanks david yeah. thanks for doing this <laughs> Awesome. If I'm being honest, Sarah and I have had these sorts of conversations almost since we first met. And out of any of the other Iranian Americans I've interviewed, we have, we have the most in common. We both come from spaces with little to no exposure to the Iranian American community, and the surrounding space is often more conservative and less tolerant of our bicultural lives. There are times when explaining certain feelings or emotions about a particular issue that's likely exclusive to the white adjacent life that I'll see blank stares from my friends. But then there's Sarah nodding, ready to chime in to expand on what it's like or what it is that I've said. When I started looking and thinking about this project, I felt it would be a disservice if I didn't get Sarah on board. Our first distinct conversation, one where we actually intentionally set aside time for this t- specific topic, took place in January. But her work schedule was so busy it took several months before we could actually sit down to record the episode. Some things stood out for me. First was how she formed a close relationship with another pair of happy siblings, and they created this environment where they could in- interchange their Iranian and Americanness. With ease, playing video games one minute, eating gourmet sebzi the next. The the same siblings had an Iranian grandfather that ended up becoming Sarah's adopted grandpa. My siblings and I had that a similar space like that from time to time when we visited my dad's college buddies, most of whom ended up marrying American women. But nothing constant and continuous like Sarah had. Second, and this is one I didn't really think about, or if I did, I just ignored it. But Sarah spoke about the consequences of openly discussing your Iranianness. She was one of the first I heard bring this issue up, and now I often ask other Iranian Americans, not just other Hafis, if they've had similar experiences. And almost everyone has had some sort of interaction that didn't end well or made them markedly uncomfortable in some sort of social setting where their Iranianness was outed. A potential boss asked Sarah which side was the uncivilized one, a, a knock not just on her Iranianness, but her connections to the Upper Peninsula. A college girlfriend of mine had her friends suggest to her she may not be able to trust me solely because of my Iranian background. But like Sarah said, it's not our job to make excuses for our Iranianness just so others can feel comfortable. There also, there's also the way her parents approach their kids being both Iranian and American giving equal time to Christmas and Nowruz, lifting up both cultures, traditions, etc., so that they felt comfortable and unashamed of their backgrounds. Some in her mother's family found ways to embrace it too, while others have been slower to come around to it. I connected with the fact that she and her family watched the news. That may sound like something small, but my own childhood memories are filled with dinners in front of the nightly news with Dan Rather or Connie Chung, or if I'm at my dad's house, PBS NewsHour. Like Sarah, in a weird way, it made me feel more connected to my family in Iran, even if the stories themselves weren't taking place there. Sarah's no-nonsense approach to racism, bigotry, and all the other things that fit into those categories is refreshing. Maybe it's from years of having to deal with it. Her comment that, it shouldn't matter, though. You shouldn't say bigoted things. Is spot on. People should learn to check themselves. But like many others, it's exhausting to feel like you've had, you have to be everyone's teacher, that you have to hold every person's hand and walk them through why saying dehumanizing things isn't okay, why it's painful to those on the receiving end, and why that underlying tension is so tiring to deal with. What do you think? What stood out to you? 
Did Sarah say anything that made you stop and, and think? Do you, you get exhausted trying to help others understand why racism, bigotry are unacceptable? Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email at whydadjacentpodcast at gmail.com or comment wherever you download the podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch the other five episodes. Next time they ask you where you're from You tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb Next time they ask what kind of name You tell them it's the kind you're scared of But I'll say it just the same And if they wonder who you are Well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. White Adjacent is brought to you by Bourbon and Chai Media. Final production by Ian Martin. Interviews recorded by Heartcast Media, located in the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Music by Nima Samimi and his band Muhammad Seven. The song, entitled Manifesto, comes from their debut album Muhammad Seven and the Spring. The album can be found on iTunes or on their website, muhammadseven.com. And a special thanks to John Maines over at SB Works, a local nonprofit in Washington, D.C.'s Northeast Quadrant.